All right, Luke chapter 15 tonight. Took a uh, short series on some parables of Jesus out of the Gospel of Luke. Next week, looking at a very fascinating parable, the rich man and Lazarus, to wrap things up from Luke chapter 16. But tonight, Luke chapter 15. And even though we're going to be talking primarily about the parable of what many call the prodigal son that doesn't begin till verse 11, I actually want to back up again and, and sort of get the context by beginning at the, be, at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 15. And as we approach this chapter, just make this comment. Sometimes as Christians, our familiarity with certain verses and passages of Scripture I think can actually hinder or prevent us from seeing uh, maybe some other sides to that. Because we get, we get so used to seeing it a certain way that if we, if we look at it again, that's sort of like the only angle that we can see it from. And, and I think to be a true student of the Word of God, we have to continue to grow and allow God to maybe again, take those, those diamonds, those crystals, and turn it and, and show us things that maybe it's like, well, I hadn't really looked at it that way before or considered it. And this is certainly, at the beginning of chapter 15, I think one of those, um, one of those times in Scripture where that happens. Um, because if I was to ask most of you... Uh, when you hear the verses about there were 99 sheep and the one sheep wanders off and the person goes after that one sheep and leaves the 99, how many of you have always heard that applied to God? That that's how God, you know, does things, right? He would be the one that would leave the 99 and go after the one sheep. I think most of us, that's the way we would have been taught that. But what I want us to see tonight, and I hope you'll consider, is that I don't believe that that's the way we should interpret that verse or those verses. And I think Jesus is telling us that that doesn't apply to the way God does things. That's actually the way you humans do things. In fact, notice the context in Luke chapter 15. All the tax collectors... And sinners were coming to hear him. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law, the religious leaders of Israel, were complaining. Literally, there was a constant buzz of negative murmuring. It, it was like this low hum that was always accompanying Jesus wherever he went. They were the, the nitpickers, the the, the ones that were looking at Jesus and his ministry with a critical eye. And one of the things that they were very critical about was he hangs out with sinners. He accepts sinners. He receives sinners. Because again, remember, in Jesus' day, they equated, meaning the religious leaders of Israel, and what they taught other people underneath them was that, that in order to be holy... In order to be spiritual, you had to physically separate yourself from, you know, other sinners. And so that's where they were coming from. Jesus, you know, you're claiming to be a spiritual person. 
And, uh, and yet, you're being defiled because you're physically around these terrible people. And that's what they were constantly complaining and murmuring about. So again, notice that's the context then of what Jesus is about to teach. And each of these parables, the two that he gives now from verse 3 through verse 10, and then the parable of the prodigal son, are actually all applying back to this principle of why does he receive sinners? Why does he accept sinners? Why does he eat with sinners? And Jesus is going to give us insight into that in these three parables. And he's going to contrast the way he treats people with the way the religious leaders treat people. And so in these first two parables, actually, that's what he's doing. He's actually contrasting the way he treats people with the way religious leaders treat people by saying this. Verse 3, Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you, and that's a key, of why I believe that this is not being applied by Jesus to God, this is being applied to human beings. Notice he says, which one of you, if you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them, would not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go and look for the one that is lost until he finds it? Now listen, I'm not saying that God is not concerned about an individual. We know that that's taught. But what I'm saying is, in this particular passage of Scripture, that's not the point that Jesus is making. What Jesus is saying is this. In these first two parables, Jesus is saying, you human beings are more concerned about lost things than you are lost people. Because later on, he reminds us that the religious leaders of Israel were very materialistic. They loved money. Luke 16, I think verse 14. And so Jesus here is saying, if you had a hundred sheep and you lost even one, man, you'd do everything to recover that one. Because for you, it's all about, you know, making sure you get every last dime out of all your sheep. You don't want to lose the profit even on one of those sheep. Then, when he found it, he places it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Returning home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, telling them, rejoice with me because I found my sheep that was lost. Literally, they're throwing a party over one lost sheep. And Jesus is saying, really? You go to that length as a human being over one sheep, but you don't care about people? See, that's the, that's the point that Jesus is making. And that's why then he says, I tell you, verse 7, in the same way, in the same way that you rejoice over finding one of your lost sheep, that's the way heaven is over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. And Jesus is sort of, again, getting a dig in on the religious leaders of Israel who have concluded they're righteous and they don't need to repent. Then in verse 8, he says, Or what woman, you know, the keeper of the home, 
If she has ten silver coins and loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search thoroughly until she finds it. Then when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I lost. Again, a party over recovering a lost thing. And Jesus said in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Now again, as I said earlier, even though many Christians would say that, hey, that story in the Bible about the guy who leaves the 99 and goes after the one sheep, that's applied to God. I think if you study this in its context, you see that Jesus isn't using that to apply to God. He's using that to apply to human beings. And Jesus here, in both of these parables, again, is contrasting man's reaction and response to the recovery of lost things with heaven's reaction and response to the recovery of lost people. And Jesus here is emphasizing the fact, the reason why I hang with sinners the reason why I welcome sinners, the reason why I accept sinners, is because I, as God, love people more than things. And we all know we live in a world today that loves things and uses people, but God's Word teaches us that we should love God and use things. And yet that problem existed even in Jesus' day. Where, man, they would do anything they could to make sure that they recovered a lost material thing. Something that could bring them profit. But here were people around them of greater value and worth to God than anything, and even an animal, and yet they were cold towards people. And that's what Jesus then is doing in these first two parables. The parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin to set the stage then for the parable of the prodigal son. The lost son, you see. Now again, when I say Jesus welcomes sinners, receives sinners, accepts sinners, I in no way am saying that Jesus minimizes sin, that he excuses sin or anything like that. You never find that in Scripture. Jesus never makes light of sin and Jesus never approves of sin. He will accept people without approving of their sin. He always makes that differentiation, if you will, that, that distinguishing mark. And that's part of the, say, problem today and even the pressure on us as Christians today that we have to deal with. Because in our society today, people want us to accept them, but accepting them also means approving of what they do. And if we don't give a stamp of approval to their sinful behavior, then they say, well, then you're not being very loving or accepting. And we always, as Christians, must maintain that balance between, as Jesus did, I can accept you. I can welcome you. But I'm not going to sit there and say that what you do and your lifestyle is right. And Jesus never did that either. He accepted sinners. He welcomed sinners. He ate with sinners. He, hang out, he hung out with sinners. 
but he never minimized sin or approved of what they did. He always made a distinction between approval and acceptance. Now, in the story of the prodigal son, I think, again, most Christians always focus on the prodigal son. That's the emphasis. Oh my goodness, the son was lost and and now he's found. But I think, again, if you study this, you will find that really the lost son is not to be the emphasis of this parable. The emphasis of the parable is actually the father. And then second to the father is actually the older son who stays behind. In my opinion, the least important figure, the lost son, is actually the one that gets the most emphasis. And I want you to maybe see it from that perspective tonight. Because as you study this parable, one of the fascinating things about this is this. If you start to make a list, you will find that there are many actually similarities between the lost son and the son who stays behind. There's actually a lot of similarities. Now, there are a few differences, but there are actually more similarities between the son who goes away, the prodigal, and the one who stays at home. The other thing that Jesus is going to teach in this parable is really the difference between law and grace. In this parable, Jesus is teaching that I want to extend grace. And in the lost son coming back, there's grace extended. The older son, who actually represents the religious leaders of Israel, the the, the spiritual leaders, the establishment, they're the ones who may not outwardly be out there externally sinning for everybody to see, but that doesn't mean that their relationship with the Father is okay. Because their relationship is based on law and works, not on grace. And that's what Jesus wants to emphasize. And I'll say one more thing, and then let's look at this for a few minutes. The other thing I want to jump out at you today is this. The other similarity between the lost son, the prodigal, and the one who stayed behind is that both of them thought that real living was apart from their father. Because even though the older son stayed at home, what we find is he really didn't have a good or close relationship with his father, even though he never left. So neither son had a good relationship with their father. And that's what Jesus wants to emphasize here tonight. So let's look at this and maybe see a few things differently or from a different perspective than maybe you ever had before as we study these parables tonight. So based on what Jesus has already said, you care more about things than people. Jesus now says, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that will belong to me. So he divided his assets between them. And after a few days, the younger son gathered together all that he had and left on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth with a wild 
lifestyle. Notice that the father was very generous towards the son and that the father loved his son enough to let him go. That's important. The father loved his son enough later on to welcome him back, but the father loved his son enough to let him go. And he left him go. The Bible says in verse 13 that he left and went away to a distant country. He not only went away, he went far away, Jesus said. He wanted to put a lot of distance, a lot of room between him and his father. Because again, in his mind right now, this son, real life was not with the father. I want to experience real life. I'm, I'm missing something. What, what I'm looking for can't be found at home with my father. It's got to be out there. And so he went a far distance from his father. And there the Bible says he squandered his wealth with a wild lifestyle. Literally, he became separated from his wealth. When you and I are obsessed with pursuing things more than we are God, God will begin to allow us to be separated from those things. And the things that we thought would turn out a certain way end up not being that way. It's sort of like it it falls through our fingers. We, We can't hold on to it. That's what Jesus is illustrating here. And then after he spent everything, a severe famine took place in the country and he began to be in need. Very interesting word. It literally means to fall back or be left behind. It's a picture of now this son because he's he's left home, he's left the father, he's pursued all these other things that he is beginning to, to be pictured as sort of this runner in the race that can't keep up. He's always running from behind. He's, all, he's falling further and further back. And no matter how hard he tries, he can't keep up anymore. And I think that's a great picture for many people today who again get caught up in the pursuit of worldly, material, earthly things to the point where they neglect God and their relationship with God in their life. And yet they wonder then, why am I always feeling like i got to play catch up? Like I never get ahead. Like I'm always falling back and I'm always falling behind and I keep looking ahead and and can't quite get there. And I think that's why Jesus taught, you know, seek first the kingdom of of God and His righteousness and all those other things that you've been pursuing, they'll be added to you. But put God first. Put God first. Obviously, the lost son at this point wasn't doing that. And so he began to be left behind. So he went and worked for one of the citizens of the country, verse 15, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to eat the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And then Jesus says, when he came to his senses, 
It's a way of describing repentance. A change of mind that results in a change of direction in one's life. That's what repentance is. When one truly repents, it's not just, I've changed my mind about something, it's I've changed my mind, which results in a change of direction in my life. And that's what happened to the lost son. But again, as we've said before, notice he had to go through some pain to get to that point. Sort of even as we talked about Sunday with Jonah, he had to get to the bottom of the ocean before he was willing to look up and say, okay, God, I'll I'll start living your way. Because living my way isn't working out. I find myself at the bottom now. And part of, of what got him to that point was the father left him go to the bottom. He didn't try to prevent his fall because he understood a very important principle and that is sometimes it's only through the pain and consequences of our own choices and decisions that we'll be willing to change and repent. And so he says, how many of my father's hired workers have food enough to spare? But here I am dying from hunger. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Literally, I was wrong. And we all know how hard it is to admit we're wrong. But I'm going back to my father and tell my father I was wrong. I have been experiencing loss ever since I left you. I thought that if I left you and put distance between me and you, I'd start gaining in life. Things would go better. And every day that I left my father, I have found out it's been nothing but loss for me. I was wrong. I am no longer worthy or deserving to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired workers. Now again, I want to just interject this. The reason why Jesus is making that point is again because he wants to teach the religious leaders of Israel who've been complaining about him with sinners that I deal with people based on grace. No one deserves what we get from God. All of us get what is undeserved. And Jesus wanted again to reinforce that to these religious leaders. Did the sinners deserve this? No, but they don't deserve it either. Unfortunately, they have gotten to a place in their life with their pride and their self-righteousness that they feel like everything good that they get in life is because they deserve it. It's owed them. God is obligated somehow. And so it's all about law. I do this, I should get this. Not grace. So he got up, verse 20, and went to his father. And while he was still a long way from home, his father saw him. The interesting thing in the language here is that even though he was still a long way, literally physically distant. The words that Jesus uses also say, though, that he was always within reach of his father. I love that. It's like, yes, there was a physical distance, but 
The son, no matter how far away he went, he was always within reach of the father. That's a beautiful picture that Jesus gives here. Because it was like the father always had his eye on him. His his interest, his heart was always out there with the son who'd left. It's not like he ever stopped loving or caring about him, but he obviously wasn't going to run after him and try to make things all better. He understood the wisdom in letting him hit rock bottom and hopefully come to his senses and repent and realize how good he had it back with his father at home. And begin to realize that all that the father provided for him And his other son and all of his other servants wasn't because they deserved it. It was out of grace. Something that they just couldn't understand. So while he was still a long way from home, his father saw him and his heart went out to him. Again, we've talked about that phrase. It it means to be moved in the inward parts. To be affected in the bowels and intestines. It it was a way for for the Jews to describe compassion. And someone who who has empathy and sympathy and feeling for someone else. And Jesus is saying, this is the way the Father looks at you. This is the way the Father looks at that lost son. He had compassion on him. He was moved. His heart went out to him. Again, because he loves people. He loves people. And he ran. And he hugged his son. And he kissed him. There was like this instant restoration of fellowship. Before the son could ever get anything out of his mouth, before the son ever confessed anything, there was restoration of fellowship because he came back. Then his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Hurry, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. Let's party! Because this son of mine was dead, unresponsive, lifeless, from a spiritual perspective. But now he is alive again. He's been restored. He's been revived. He was lost because he was experiencing loss, but now he is found. And I love that. Because what Jesus is teaching here is the lost son is finding what he was always searching for. And guess where he found it? Out there, away from the Father? No. He found it with the Father. It was always there. It was always there with the Father at home. But he thought it was somewhere else. And so Jesus here again is very powerfully saying to us, where's our life? You know, do we think we're going to experience abundant life apart from the Father? By running after all the things that the world says we should be running after and going out there and and just chasing after all these things? Or is what we've always been looking for and searching for right where 
It always was. With the Father, who loves us more than we could ever imagine. And any of us who walk away from the Father's love, walk away from the greatest love we'll ever know. There is no love out there that's greater than the Father's love for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. John 3.16 So they began to celebrate. Literally, they began to party. I think Jesus here is also saying, what causes you to throw a party? Do people cause you to throw a party? When, when people come to God, is that, what you, is that what gets you excited enough to say, let's party, let's celebrate? Or are you more partying over the recovery of lost things in the first two parables? Jesus says, I'll, I'll tell you when you should party. When people come to God, that, that's, that's what should initiate partying amongst God's people. Now his older son, and again, I think that this is the real emphasis here. Why? Because the older son illustrates the religious leaders that were murmuring about Jesus and complaining that he was hanging around sinners. The older son was in the field. He came and approached the house and heard music and dancing. So he called one of the slaves and asked what was happening. And the slave replied, well, your brother is returning. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he got his son back safe and sound. But the older son became angry, literally enraged and resentful. The older son resented that the younger son was getting a party and getting all this attention. And here's why. Because those who live in law can't understand grace. And when grace is extended, they don't like it. They resent grace. Because just like the older son, they've worked and slaved for years. They've tried to keep every law and every commandment. And now some sinner comes along and has extended grace that they don't deserve by God. That's not fair, God. You just forgave them? You just like brought, accepted them back? And I've been here working my tail off? That's not fair. Can I say... That's why those who live in an environment of law and legalism rather than grace have no joy. Because did you notice something else Jesus is teaching here? When you live in an environment of grace, there's joy. There's joy. You realize, oh my goodness, God, what you have given me that I don't deserve. And that brings joy into our life. And then when we teach others about grace and we live in an environment of grace where we realize none of us deserve all these things that God gives us. But my goodness, He's blessed us so much and favored us so much. Let's party. We've got a lot to be happy about. There's joy when we live in grace. But when you and I live in legalism and law, where we're trying to work for God's favor and be good enough, there is no joy. There never is joy. Because it's always, i got to do more and I, I, I haven't done enough. And that's such a sad place to be. In fact, the Bible says the older son not only became angry, he refused to go in. Now his father came out and appealed to him, literally 
It's the Greek word parakaleo, where we get our word to come alongside of. He tried to exhort and encourage the older son, but he answered his father, look. And you can just hear him. These many years I have worked. I have served you like a slave. What, What kind of relationship is that? He's the son, but he feels like a slave. And all he thinks about is all the work he's done. Law, legalism, exactly what the religious leaders of Israel were all about. And I never disobeyed your commands. Oh, please. Talk about self-righteous. You never, ever disobeyed a command. That's another thing about, you know, the pride of of the religious elite. And so Jesus, I think, obviously, appropriately threw that in. And yet you never gave me even a goat. And notice, don't miss this. So that I could celebrate with you, Father. No. Because again, just like with the lost son, the younger son... He never equated celebrating with his father. I'll celebrate with my friends. You give me what I want, dad, but I'm cutting you out. Because in my mind, celebration and, 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 and joy and, and partying and finding what I've always been searching for is not found with you, dad. So that's where, again, there's a lot of similarities here. The younger son thought, I'll find what I'm really looking for apart from my father. And even though the older son never left home and and would have been looked at externally as doing everything right, just like the religious leaders of Israel, inwardly, his heart was actually harder than the younger son, the prodigal that always gets all the attention. You see, the one, the son who's in worse condition isn't the prodigal son in this story. The son who's in the worst spiritual condition is the older son who never left home and did everything right as far as law goes and works. And yet, you can just hear it. There's no love for the father. There's no real relationship and fellowship with his father. Everything he did, he did because he felt he had to. To somehow earn his father's love and approval. But when this son of yours, notice, not my brother, he doesn't call him his brother. When this son of yours came back, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes and killed the fa- you killed the fatted calf for him. And notice something else about legalists and people who are in an environment of law. They're always looking critically at others, but never at themselves. That's what the religious leaders of Israel did. They were always looking with a critical eye towards all the way others fell short. But they never put that spotlight on themselves, because they were good. Then the father, verse 31, said to him, Son, You are always with me. You at all times are in my company and 
everything, all, the whole that belongs to me is yours. It was all there, all the time. What are you saying you didn't have a goat or that you needed to work, work, work? It it was always available to you. And I was with you. You were in my company. But that wasn't good enough. Because you always looked beyond me for what you were really looking for. It was appropriate, Jesus said. Absolutely necessary is what the word means. To celebrate and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This chapter could be entitled Lost and Found. (laughs) Y'all played that game when you were younger. In the first two parables, Jesus is teaching in the lost and found that we've got to be careful that we don't celebrate the recovery of lost things more than the recovery of lost people. And do we love people and use things or do we love things and use people? The reason why Jesus accepted sinners and welcomed sinners and ate with sinners was because He loves people and because He extends grace to people and because He wanted through this parable also to teach those who were following Him everything that you are searching for in life, everything that you are looking for in life is found with the Father. You don't need to go outside the Father. And it was like, as I was praying over this and studying this for weeks, one of the things that God just impressed upon me like a lightning bolt out of the sky was this thought that I want to leave with you tonight. Do we view God primarily as the giver or the gift? one of the things that Jesus is teaching here. Even the lost son, the young son, when he came, Dad, give me. And many times, even as Christians, because we've been doing this series on prayer on Sunday mornings, even in a lot of our prayer life as Christians, the only time we approach God is, God, give me this and give me that. And not that we shouldn't use prayer at times to request things. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying primarily do we look at God as the giver or as the gift? See, I think what Jesus here is teaching in this passage is both sons. Both sons didn't never, never got the fact that the father was the gift. They were there with the father. As he said, son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. And yet they missed it. They looked outside the Father and obviously didn't find what they were looking for. Because the one son literally left and went out there in the world and obviously didn't find it and only found what he was looking for when he came back to the Father. And the other son, even though he was physically with the Father, had no real love relationship or fellowship with the Father. And therefore, even though he was physically there, his heart was not knit with the Father. 
and he was still missing life because he looked for life outside the Father as well. I think the real essence of worship for us as Christians and where God wants to move all of us to is where we get to a place where we look at God primarily as the gift. I have God. I have God. We have God. We have the Father. And everything that the Father has is ours. And I'm always with you. So what are you looking for? You've got me. And it's, a, it's just a great reminder to all of us to not look outside of what we already have. Because I think this parable definitely reminds us that sometimes the thing that we're really looking for is right in front of us. It's right there. We, we just haven't we just haven't appropriated it. We, we just haven't brought it in and begun to interact. And I, I feel that way about a lot of Christians. That they have God in their life, but they always live as if there's something missing. And that's why they're so restless and out there trying to still find something. And yet, there's God all the time in their life. Jesus was a good teacher, wasn't he? So I hope you'll come back next Tuesday and we'll wrap up our series on parables and then take a break for a while. Let's pray. Father, help us to see tonight that you are the gift that yes, God, you, you give. And no one is more giving and generous than you. And we know that James tells us every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. And yet, God, so often our relationship to you is only based on what you give us not what we already have in You and because of You. And God, I hope tonight through the teaching of Jesus that we will see once again and, and be reminded that we don't have to look outside of what we already have in You, Lord. That everything that You are and that You have, You've given to Your children. So God, help us just to begin to enjoy and celebrate what we have. Rather than feeling like we're lacking or deprived or focusing on what we don't have. God, help us to live in grace rather than law. Legalism and those who live in that environment are so joyless. There's never any celebration. There's never any joy. Help us to live in that and help us to acknowledge grace every day in our lives. 
to be a people, God, that just overflow with joy and gladness because of all the things that you've done for us that are so undeserved. And God, help us to love people like you love people. Help us to be less concerned about things and more concerned about people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for being here. See you next week.